Hey everybody, welcome back to Vision Tech Perspectives. This is Dave Swain with Vision Technology Management. And as usual, I have Doug Johnson with me. Doug, how's it going today? Hey Dave, I am doing great and very excited uh, to get into the podcast today. We got some great discussion points. I, I, I'm excited about it as well. We, we some kind of, uh, I'll say, touchy subjects. Uh, in the last couple, we uh, we kind of continued the conversation. Well, this time, we started talking about lab-raised meats. And Doug, you're the subject matter expert on this. So I'm going to kind of turn this over to you and let you kind of run with it. I uh, would love to start this discussion. And what are we talking about with lab-raised meats? And what are the implications to our industry? Dave, this is, I'm going to say, very near and dear to my heart, um, the lab-raised meat discussion. And I, I want to give the fundamentals of it first. So many of you know through the podcast series that our farm, uh, generation number four, was started back in 1892. So number one, there's a lot of heritage within our farm, a lot of tradition. And I want to make sure that we continue this multi-generational operation um, down the road here. So what does that mean? And I want to kind of set the stage here. There's a big difference between lab-raised meat versus plant-based meat that we've heard about. You've probably heard the commercials eight years ago, the Impossible Burger, the plant-based burger, Beyond Meat. That's different. The plant-based meat is made from plants. And as an example, to try and replicate the texture and the look of actual hamburger, let's start there, they use beet juice. So you have your plant-based meat, you have it formed into, let's just say a hamburger patty, and they'll use beet juice to replicate the blood of the hamburger. Okay, that, that's very clever in the marketing approach, very visual, but the plant-based never took over the, the industry, the protein industry, because it doesn't have the taste that beef does. Let's just go down to beef industry. It does Plant-based doesn't have the taste, the texture that the beef industry or pork or poultry does. So you're talking about maybe, you know, Bill Gates said we just have to get used to that taste and deal with it, right? Well, yeah, well, uh, that that is not what you're going to hear in the Midwest, right? Exactly. And that's the, and that's the point is, is we can try, I mean, think about even the off-brand of anything never is the same as the original. Yep. Yep. So I got a funny story for you, Dave. Literally, I walked in a regional grocery store here uh, in the Midwest, and I went up to the hamburger counter, and they had prepackaged hamburger in pound packages. I, I'm not kidding you, Dave. I walked up, I grabbed a pound package of hamburger because it was brown. I thought it was spoiled. I picked it up and I was going to take it to the meat guys, to the butchers there and say, hey, you got to throw this away. And then I read it. It said plant-based meat. And then I laughed and I put it back and it was higher than the actual hamburger. Plant-based meat is not what we're going to focus on today. I just wanted to make mm -hmm. sure there's. it's hard to understand this lab-raised meat is very different than plant-based. Plant-based is made from plant, period. 
what we are going to talk about now is meat grown from meat. This is lab-raised meat. So the backstory is, you know, we've talked a lot about ESG. We've talked about climate in our prior podcasts. So there is there's concern that our livestock industry is emitting methane through the little farty cows, right? Yep. And we know it's not the farts, it's the belches, but everybody laughs when you say the farting cows. So we're gonna we're gonna fart say jokes that. still make a the fart, fart jokes still make people laugh, right? <laughs> right. So we'll just take these farting cows emitting methane, which which is basically accounts for four percent of the greenhouse gas emission. Four percent. But that is a issue that is trying to be solved. How do you eliminate greenhouse gas emission? So there is a concept, ladies and gentlemen, that if you could eliminate livestock, now I'm going to go to the extreme. So just, just hang on. If you could eliminate the livestock industry, but still have meat, you would eliminate the greenhouse gas emissions. How does that happen? So there is a science experiment going on. And the science experiment experiment is let's take stem cells let's extract them from a hog let's put it into a petri dish let's feed the petri dish to make the meat the stem cells replicate and grow more stem cells and replicate so in concept the meat is growing more meat so let me let's let back up for a second so we're talking about 4%. Agriculture is responsible, and I'm using my air quotes on an on a audio podcast, 4% of greenhouse gases. So why is this such a big deal? They want to look at agri... There's, there is some movement out here, Dave, that they want to put our farmland back into its native state. They right. want that farmland and they say, as an example, the methane is the hot gas that once you emit it, it's the hot gas that goes into the greenhouse, but it dissipates over a few years. But they're looking across, ESG is agnostic in who it's looking at. It's looking across mm -hmm industries, all sectors, and their ESG wants everybody to make the change to become neutral. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a bunny trail here for just a second. So if we're going to put the Midwest, I'll just use that as the example, and I'm talking basically from, and it's more than the Midwest, let's, let's say it's from the Rockies, to the Appalachians. I mean, that's that's kind of the the livestock focused area as a whole. And I'm, yep. I'm using that as a generalization. I know there's a lot of hogs and chickens and everything outside this this territory. We'll use this as the example. So we're going to take that back to a its natural state. Are we going to release the livestock out into this natural state? Right. We're not eliminating, correct? So, Dave, there's 
there's a lot of where is this train headed? We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. So when when we look at lab-raised meat, what they are trying to solve is about three different issues. One of them is land use. Every time you till the land, we release carbon. We sure. know whole carbon sequestration issue. We briefly touched on that in some prior podcasts. And anybody listening, make sure you give Dave a call on this carbon sequestration. He knows a lot of trends that are happening. So carbon is one thing. The second thing, reduced land. Um, the second thing they're trying to fix, let's call it that, with the livestock industry, it takes a lot of water usage. Look at the poultry confinements when you're raising broilers. How much water broilers raise? A lot, right? And the dairy, the dairy industry uses a lot of water. So what they're trying to say is there are water shortages. Look at California, look at Arizona, look at Nevada, and there's a lot of dairies out there. There was actually a consumer that told an ag lender, you ready for this? A consumer, they happen to be in Los Angeles, never been on a farm. They said, you know, if we eliminated water use on the farms, we would have plenty of water left for the cities. That's what we're dealing with, Dave, is number one is how do we change land use? Number two, how do we minimize water use on the farm? And number three, how do you minimize greenhouse gas emissions? This is what the lab-raised meat companies claim. Number one, we use 99% less land to grow meat. We use 96% less water than the traditional livestock operation. 96% less water. Think about that. And we release roughly 80% fewer greenhouse gas emissions. Lab-raised meat, when you remove the farm heritage, the farm emotion, which I have, it's very hard for me to look at those bullet points they say they can help with and have a strong argument to it. So lab-raised meat, let me kind of go through the, you take a stem, you take a syringe, you extract stem cells, you squirt it in a Petri dish, you provide it food and heat and energy to grow. The stem cells replicate, they grow more, meat grows the more meat. Where we're at today in this science experiment is we are at day one. What they don't have figured out is taste. They don't have figured out texture. They don't have figured out economy of scale. It's not affordable yet. You could raise in a 70,000 square foot hog confinement approximately 3.4 million pounds of pork annually in a 70,000 square foot hog confinement. If you grow that same 70,000 square foot hog confinement with lab raised meat, they can only produce 100,000 pounds. They can't, it's not scalable yet. So when they grow this meat growing meat, it looks more like squishy hamburger, if you think about it. But here's what's happening to our ag industry. FDA approved last November lab-raised chicken in the United States. We have very large ag organizations investing in the technology and the science of 
growing lab raised meat. They see it as a potential feed the future because they're worried about as our population grows, will our livestock industry be able to keep up feeding the people? So that's another issue. And then you throw on the three bullet points. We can't get more land. We have to do more with our land. We have to eliminate water, minimize water use. We have to minimize greenhouse gas emissions. This lab-raised meat movement is getting traction. And Dave, I don't know if you knew this, but the world today, right now today, the world's largest lab-raised meat facility the world's largest lab-raised meat facility is being built in North Carolina today. Not overseas, China, in the U.S. today. There is roughly, the last time I did some research, within two minutes I was able to find roughly 10 companies in the United States mm -hmm. working on growing lab-raised meat. Today, you can go to a high-end sushi bar in California and you can order lab-raised salmon. It's a novelty. And one of the kids that went over there and tried it, he came up after a presentation I did. He said, oh my gosh, Doug, I ordered lab-raised salmon. It was very expensive because it's a novelty. It's new technology. Uh, but it was salmon extracted, thrown in a Petri dish, grown in a bioreactor, if you want to call it that. And the meat grew more meat, and they had the lab-raised salmon. Texture, because it was in sushi, hard to tell, uh, was the texture there. The taste was there, roughly. Okay. The taste is roughly there. But when you think about this whole, and it's not just meat, our dairy industry is, is going to experience this probably sooner than the beef or the poultry or the pork industry, because in Australia, in Australia today, they have a, a company that has taken milk from the cow, put it in a pot, and they added some sugars and fermented it, and the milk grew more milk, grew more milk, grew more milk. Now they are making milk without the cow. It had to start with the cow. Now they're growing milk in vats without the cow, and it's in the grocers. And they're marketing their marketing message to consumers who've never been on the farm we are green and clean we are good for the environment we use 99% less land we use 96% less water you know the water issues in australia water is gold right and we're facing that out here so what, I, what I'd like to have everybody think about that's listening to this podcast, not gloom and doom, not fear, but what is happening in this lab-raised meat industry? What is going on? What is our threat to agriculture, our traditional production? Will it ever replace traditional farm operation? Dave, I don't I think we'll always have a place when you look at organic beef or Piedmont beef or Wagyu beef. I think there's always going to be a premium product. But what I'm trying to make sure everybody thinks through is are why do we want to give up any market share? Well, 
Well, and aren't we, I mean, let's, you use milk as the example, you know, with, with Australia. What about, you know, we've, we've had the battle of, you know, the soy milk and the almond milk and all of those other versions of milk. And even the, the labeling of it, what is, what like, you know, how can almond milk, I'm just using that as an example, uh, how can they call it milk because it's not milk? Uh, yeah. So labeling as a part of that, where will this come into play when we start talking about lab raised and the whole different perspective, at least almond milk was a part of agriculture, this is not. Well, so the difference in what you cited was the almond and the soy and the oat milk and all that. If you've never tried mm -hmm. them, they're very creamy. They're mm -hmm. not milk, right? Yes. But they're plant-based. So I'm not mm -hmm. talking plant-based. I am talking... And I understand that, but I, I that is a perspective we have to look at because to a certain degree, those are the things our industry has to be aware of. As yep. we start seeing some of those changes... It's almost the canary in the coal mine that says there's something else cooking here. Yep. And what does that look like and where can it go? Kind of to your point a few moments ago, where's this going to go? What's this going to turn into? Yep, I totally agree. And this is where I hope the listeners, um, they don't get nervous, they don't get scared. But what we're trying to do on these podcasts, Dave, right, is just bring food for thought education. Mm -hmm. I, I am going to put your plug in one more time. If you are looking for more information on, I don't understand this lab raised technology, get Dave, get Dave on the phone and then he can give you more information and point you in directions that will really help. This is something that I say is very passionate to me for our farm heritage in the future. And I know Dave, you've got the same thing. So absolutely. Absolutely, and and that's the thing, and and it's and and that says call me, and it's not like I'm the the subject matter expert for every topic that we talk about on this podcast. I it's I've been in the industry a long time, and when I have contacts like Doug Johnson, I have the ability to ask questions, and I may not be the subject matter expert, but I'm somebody that can be a resource to do dig. I know where to go to find those answers. And that's the key thing to this is finding people, whether it's within your own operation, the business, or producer, that is going to be able to dig and learn and be able to report back and start giving vision and direction to the operation. And I think that's the key thing to all of this. And that's why we bring these things to your attention. These are the conversations, if you can't tell, Doug and I love to have these conversations. That's why we started the pilot is to have these conversations to educate, get information into your hands, then what's the next step? And it has to have action to it because if we don't act on these things, we will get overrun by lab raised or ESG or whatever. We have to participate in our industry. Any last thoughts, Doug, before we uh, we sign off on this one? Well, Dave, like you say, this, this topic, um, really digs deep into me, and I appreciate you asking um, to share a few thoughts on it. This, ladies and gentlemen, could be an hour-long podcast all by itself, that one subject. So what I would say is 
how do we how do we learn more because this technology is evolving so quickly mm -hmm. and it could have it could have a very major impact to our livestock industry because it's meat it's not plant-based meat it's meat so give dave a call let's get some more education out here and um dave with that i really appreciate your time well, I appreciate your uh, your expertise on this, Doug. And as you said, I, I hear the passion in your voice when it comes to this. And that's the cool part of being able to have these conversations with you. And the things are moving quickly in this industry, more than I ever thought I would see. And kind of a teaser for the next one. You know, we talk about ESG and and, uh, and lab-raised means, but I just heard a, a new acronym into this marketplace and that's eiq eiq stands for environmental impact lotion and we're going to touch on that one in the next session so get ready for that one you better study up because we're, it's going to be a quite a, a quite a, a conversation as well but in the meantime as i said we have to act in our operations in our industry and so the thing to look at is is you have to be strategic in your thinking intentional in your actions to accomplish your goals and or develop the tactics excuse me developing the tactics to accomplish your goal but intentional in your actions and that's what we have to be is intentional in our actions to be successful in our industry if you do have questions Contact me at 765-701-0493 or dave.swain at visiontechmanagementmgmt.com. I'd love to have this conversation with you as well, answer questions or do research for you to help you find these answers. And we look forward to the next time we get together. Appreciate it, Doug. Have a great day.